All right, whenever you are. Welcome back to another episode of Vancouver Real. My name is Andy Zaremba, and with me behind the helm today is Mike. Hey, everybody. Nice to be with you again and to see you, although I can't really see you in that camera there. But uh, I know you're seeing me, and, and we're happy to be here. And as usual, we're recording out of 70 West Cordova Street here in Gastown, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, at our business, Float House. And if you'd like to learn more about floating, you can visit our website, floathouse.ca. No matter where you might be listening to, actually, because our guest today is an international guest. Um, but there's actually a great resource you can go to if you'd like to um, look for a float center in your area. Check out lo- uh, flotationlocations.com. That's flotationlocations.com. And you can find float centers all across the continental United States and Canada or around the world, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you'd like to learn what floating is all about... Go to YouTube and type in what is floating. And I, we have made a seven-minute video, which is basically summarizing all the benefits and what it is and what you're getting yourself into. So if you want to learn about it, check out that video. And if you'd like to find a float center near you, look at flotationlocations.com. Yep. And uh, I just want to chime in with a little a plug for our Vancouver Real community. Uh, we have a Facebook community group page. So we encourage you all to join that because we have tons of events happening, especially in the month of May. Um, but ongoing always. So check out that group page, see what events coming up and uh, subscribe to our newsletter as well. If you get the chance, because then you'll be updated that way. If you're not a super social media person, because you know, not everyone walks the same way basically online. So, uh, whatever is your best method method for us to reach you, we want you to uh, connect with us there and yeah, come see us in person, connect. We do yoga workshops. We're doing a Wim Hof workshop. Uh, we do different uh, business development ones, inter- build your own website, you name it. We Movement we try workshops, to do yeah. kind of like Edo portal kind of stuff, movement with, with our uh, local instructor Slava. So definitely come out to the community. Big thank you to Candice White and Sean for helping us and everyone who helps organize our events. And lastly, a uh, big thank you to Omen Pakpin. He is the guy who does the editing in the background and makes our audio sound really good for all the listeners. And uh, he runs a great YouTube and Facebook page called Omega Point, so definitely check that out. He recently just had Jason Silva in town and did a short video with him, which turned out really great. It was basically on mental health. So um, definitely check out Omen Pacman. So today, Mm -hmm. we have another guest from a fellow reeler. And we have to give a big thank you to Olive from New York Reel because actually she's probably one of the last remaining reels that have really stuck it out. I think there's a couple that are still Mm -hmm. chugging along, right? But uh, us, Olive, and of course London Reel are the ones that are really carrying the torch under the Reel banner. So a big thank you to Olive. Mm -hmm. And she uh, did a brief introduction we um she emailed us and said i have a friend in town from ted and ted here in vancouver and uh she just introduced the email and we just made this happen last minute so dory clark welcome to vancouver real thank you for having me i'm so glad we were able to work this out absolutely and your website is doryclark.com if they want to find you um wherever you're listening to and dory why don't you just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and uh, you know some of your credentials and what got you into what you're doing today. Yeah, thank you very much. So I write business books, and what I mean by that is that I, I actually focus in on 
creating material to try to help people maximize their professional lives. Um, my first book, Reinventing You, was about how to professionally reinvent yourself and get yourself to the place in your career that you really want to be, whether that's changing jobs or uh, ch changing careers altogether, but finding the place that you were meant to be. Uh, my most recent book is called Stand Out, and it's about how to become a recognized expert in your field. Once you've found your niche, how do you max it out? How do you make sure that you are recognized by your people peers, by customers and clients, if you're an entrepreneur, as being the person that they want to work with. Mm. And so along those lines, I travel around the world giving talks about it. I also teach part-time for the uh, Fuqua School of Business at Duke. And I come from a pretty eclectic background. The, the way that I got to this uh, was through a, a winding path that included being a journalist, uh, being a spokesperson on a presidential campaign in the U.S., uh, and I ran a nonprofit for a few years. Uh, oh, so I've, I've had a few reinventions myself definitely well it seems like everyone these days is attempting to well, not everyone but a lot of people are creating a personal brand trying to start an online business it's, it is the entrepreneurship uh, du jour if you will and uh, professional reinvention that's really interesting um, how would somebody who is interested in say uh, reinventing themselves what is the first well how would you walk somebody through that process Fundamentally, if you are reinventing yourself professionally, there's three steps that you need to follow. The first one is about identifying your current brand. I think this is something that gets overlooked uh, oftentimes, but we all have a brand currently. People think something about you. And so the question is, what is it? And does it match what you want it to be? And in, mo in most cases, for most people, there's a little bit of a gap between where you are now and how you would like to be seen by the world. So you want to really dive in. Oftentimes, this is where trusted friends can be helpful, uh, is kind of mirroring back to you, uh, but understanding what your current brand is. The next step is about creating that future vision of your brand. How, how do you want to be seen by other people? And if, if there is a gap, what what does the action plan look like? Maybe you need to gain new skills or experiences. Maybe uh, you need to get certified in something or just get get better at you know, whatever it is, uh, work-life balance, delegation, all the different things. Uh, but it, it begins to imply a roadmap for you of the things that whether it's uh, through you know taking MOOCs or just uh, kind of apprenticing your, yourself to friends that are knowledgeable in that um, – things that you can do to move in that direction. Mm. And then finally, the third step is what I call living your brand. And the reason for that is that oftentimes in the popular imagination, when people talk about reinvention, it's thought of as a one-time event. You know, oh, I, I needed to reinvent myself, so I did it. And, you know, yes, there are certainly moments where there's an inflection point, but fundamentally, the act of reinvention is, a, is an ongoing process it's about making sure that you are conveying to people over time who you are so that that message is unmistakable. It's not changing how you talk about yourself. It's making sure that in everything you do, whether that's about um, who your social circle is or how you treat people or the professional associations that you're involved in, um, the content that you create, so therefore what people find about you online – all of that needs to be aligned so that people will really understand that your new brand isn't some phase, it isn't some fad, it is the direction that you are moving in and they need to start thinking of you in that way. Right. So 
First of all, what are some things that um, would be indicators of your own personal brand? Let's say you're trying to figure out what your brand is now before you're deciding to move it. Um, what are some of the things that uh, people like look at and try to gauge a feel for like who you are and and defining your brand? Like, what are the things that people look for? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of things that I'll mention, Andy. Uh, the first is at a at a very basic level, you can start with uh, with a Google search for your name. Hmm. Um, I consider that an important part of internet hygiene that people should be doing that at least on a monthly basis. Also, everyone, no matter what your job is, no matter where you are professionally, should have a Google alert out on their name hmm. so that they can see and track it immediately if they are mentioned somewhere on the internet uh, so that they can see what's out there. Uh, a lot of people just don't pay that close attention to it. But the truth is, certainly if you're applying for a job, that's the first thing people are going to do is, is search you there. Um, yes, totally. if, if people you know even meet you casually, they're going to look you up. So you have to be as conscious about your online reputation as you are your in-person reputation. Right. Um, the second piece that I'd mention for those uh, deeper perceptions among the people who actually know you is there's an exercise that I suggest in my book, Reinventing You. And it's a really simple one. It's uh, it's called the three-word exercise. And basically what it entails is over the course of, uh, let's say, a week, you reach out to about half a dozen people that know you reasonably well. And you ask them a very simple question. If you had to describe me in only three words, what would they be? And the reason this is helpful is... Not what the first person says, not what the second person says, but by the time you get to the fifth or sixth person, you're going to see patterns in their responses. And that enables you to discover something that is very, very hard for us to know on our own. And that is, what is it about you that appears most distinctive hmm. to other people? Hmm. That can become the the, the grain of understanding what you do best, what you do uniquely that's actually different than other people. Totally. So when you, you're in that self-exploration phase, let's call it that, and you are getting all this feedback from your friends and you're, you're, you want to reinvent yourself, you want to put yourself out there in a different way, now this feedback you're getting is going to be um, probably very honest and probably very realistic, right? Um, and now reinventing yourself is a bit of a tricky term because it's like, you want to reinvent yourself, but I don't think it's really that practical to uh, completely change your identity and be somebody who you're not, right? So it's like, I'm assuming your next step would be to finding out what that key component is, how people really view you, and somehow integrating that into um, you know the reinvention. Yeah, absolutely. It would be very difficult and, and perhaps inadvisable to think about jumping from one end of the spectrum to the other. I mean, it, it's just, it's not really realistic to say, oh, well, you know, yesterday I was this timid, mousy person that everybody said, oh, she, you know, she'd make a perfect librarian. And then, you know, the, the next day you're, you're this ebullient, uh, you know, biz Seeker, dev person. Short rap star. You're, you're Gary Vee all of a sudden. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, the way that I think about it, if we can hearken back to uh, to junior high math, is if, if folks can picture a Venn diagram, that was where, you know, you have these two circles that overlap in the middle. 
And the idea, you know, with that is that you want to think about how to bridge to your next identity. If you are one circle and your future vision is another circle, you don't want them to be way far apart and totally separate. You have to find some commonality, some bridge that connects them. But if you can think about how to edge yourself over, how to get that connecting piece of the, the circle, it enables you to move closer to the goal without totally abandoning your past self and confusing people terribly and yes. you know maybe you know you messing think, that's not really you i know you you're not like that for real in person um okay so let's say you have done you've identified this uh personal brand that you'd like to become all right so what are the steps that somebody needs to take to start actually executing that so it makes sense like how do you start communicating that in your channels uh, making sure you're conveying a message that's authentic and real but also people can really understand yeah, absolutely. So if you if you have settled on what you would like your brand to be and you're in the reinvention process, one of the best things that I actually suggest for people to do is to start creating content that relates to their new brand. And that serves multiple purposes. The first one is that it, it's an educational process. I mean, if you're blogging, if you're you know creating a, a vlog or you're doing podcasts or whatever it is... It, in the early days, you probably won't be as knowledgeable as people who have been in that field for two years, five years, 20 years, whatever. You need to steep yourself in the, the discourse of that field. And a really good way to do it is to almost think of yourself as a reporter. And mm. whether it's interview people or do a research project or something and write about it, it helps you get more knowledgeable so that you're better. The second reason that creating content is valuable is that it helps reinforce to other people what you are doing now. It's it's very easy for people. I mean, they're overwhelmed. They've got a lot of things on their mind. And so you might tell them, oh, hey, I, you know, I'm reinventing myself. I used to be an accountant, but now I run Float House, you know, whatever it is. Sure. And they might hear it, but they're probably going to forget it if they hear it once. And so you need to reinforce again and again what you're doing. And so if all the time in your Facebook feed, in your LinkedIn feed, wherever, you are creating content, whether, you know, it's it's blogs or, or anything else related to your new field of inquiry, it just finally seeps into their brain so they understand, oh, Andy's not doing that other thing anymore. Now he has this business. Right. Hmm. The content creation thing is seems like that's the game these days, right? How much how much content you can put out online and, and making it relevant to your personal brand. And I guess how would one go about figuring out what is uh, the best avenue to communicate their new brand through? I mean, what's, what's the process there? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you're attempting to reach uh, a certain demographic of people. So how does one, like, figure out, uh, you know, should I be predominantly on LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook or YouTube? You know, how does one go about that process? Yeah, so this is, this is a place where you're going to want to evaluate multiple factors. But here are the questions you should be asking yourself. So the first one is where does your target audience congregate. This this is critical because obviously it's not going to do you a lot of good if your audience is teenage girls for you to invest a lot of time on LinkedIn. Right. Like not not helpful at all. <laughs> I forgot to put Snapchat in there. I, I don't use Snapchat, but yes. Yeah, exactly. But if you were reaching teenage girls, you would. So Yes, exactly. Yeah, so so that's question number 1. The the question number 2 is what do you personally feel comfortable with or passionate about? I mean, there are some people that just, it, you could not pay them to do videos. They get nervous. Mm -hmm. Maybe they don't like how they look on camera or whatever. 
even if video is the preferred method for your target audience, but you just freaking hate it, I mean, it's okay. There's other things you can do. You don't have to force yourself. Mm. You want to go where your sweet spot is. So for me, for instance, when I uh, first started trying to build my platform, I used to be a print journalist. And so writing for me was the logical choice. I was very comfortable with it, very familiar with it. So I just, you know, in a world of options, take the lowest hanging fruit. And then the third piece to consider is with that intersection of where your audience is and what you feel comfortable with or are good at, you also want to ask, are there certain characteristics of your business that lend themselves to certain channels? By which I mean, it is a lot easier if you are a wedding cake designer to use Instagram because it's very visual, it's very pretty, people love that stuff, as compared to if you're an insurance agent or if you're an accountant. <laughs> totally. It's yeah. like, okay, that's the 400th picture of your computer. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> that spreadsheet's looking really interesting today. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, okay, so finding out what platform is uh, relevant for the audience that you're trying to reach, right? Um, now, when it comes to building a personal brand, like, again, I want to go back to that idea of really being authentic, yet trying to uh, communicate your message, you know? How can somebody, if you're coaching somebody, how do you get them to um, remain authentic, yet get their message across in a way that doesn't seem to be, like, fake or contrived? One of the most important phases that I, I guess a lot of entrepreneurs or other content creators go through. And I, I think we, we probably all have to wrestle with these demons ourselves, but, but you know, the good, the good ones get through this quickly is feeling a certain level of pressure to appear to be bigger than you are, more successful than you are, whatever, early on. I think it's very easy to feel inadequate if you are just starting. Maybe you you worry that you're a little inexperienced or your rev revenues aren't big enough, something like that, because everybody's comparing themselves to Gary Vaynerchuk or, or whoever that has best-selling books and big, you know, multi-million dollar agencies. And as a result, there's this kind of ubiquitous chest thumping and a desire for people to standardize and sound like everyone else because they mm. think that, that that is how people sound that is what makes them seem authoritative and right. credible and the tr the truth is what a lot of people don't realize is there is a tone to that kind of communication which because it is so boilerplate and standardized and people are, are so obviously uh, thinking that that looks cool it's it's almost like sending off the the loser scent. It's mm -hmm. like you're doing it to try to sound cool, and it makes you seem uncool. What what actually is so much better is to be open and honest and clear about where you are, about what you know and what you don't know, because people are attracted to confidence at all stages, and it takes a huge amount of confidence to be very clear and to say, Okay, here's my background. Here's who I can help. Here's who I can't help. Here's what I can do. Here's what I can't do. And when you're able to to really uh, just kind of put, put your stake in the ground and say that clearly and with a distinctive personality and to trust in that, right. that, that becomes uh, an aphrodisiac for business. Absolutely. Mm. You know, we're awesome. in this game ourselves of, um, you know, Trying to move up the the podcast hierarchy, I, I guess you will, of, of, of different guests, and I'm wondering how 
I mean, I understand the idea of being honest for your aunt, but there also is the idea that like, you know, people are going to look at, okay, how big is your audience? Like we, on, honestly, all the biggest guests that we've ever had, the first question to say is, okay, how big is your social media reach? How big is your email list? That's what they want to know. You know what I mean? And I'm always honest with them. And sometimes it's like, you know, we're, we're like maybe a medium level. I'm not sure how, what I'm comparing that to, to be honest with you. But I mean, like, we're just now getting to the point where we're attracting bigger guests like we just had Graham Hancock on uh we're you know I'm interviewing Wim Hof on Tuesday so we're climbing that ladder but it's taken us almost three years to get there right so it's like what would you give what kind of advice would you give to somebody who's like just starting off who might feel frustrated because like they have 300 followers on Instagram but they uh they want to kind of move up that ladder yeah it's a great question and so I, I have a few thoughts about it so number one I think that one of one of the things that that you and and certainly other other people in a similar position can leverage is the longevity of your podcast because in it, in addition I mean it is true that there are some people that the first question they go to is you know how many followers do you have what's your what's your reach et cetera et cetera mm-hmm. that is actually I would you know you're 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 the ones reaching out to podcast guests so you may know better than I do in my experience. That's actually the the minority of people who are who are asking that and who are insisting on that. Personally, in 2015, I did 160 podcast interviews. I wow. n- not once asked about the listenership. That th- that was not my goal because I number one had a book that I wanted to promote. My book stand out. Number two, I recognized that the people who are podcasters are. It, it's not necessarily clear who the stars of tomorrow are going to be. Totally. And if you're able to be on somebody's show or be supportive to them in some way early on, you can build a very positive relationship with them. What actually matters to me much more than somebody's social reach is their dedication to it. Because mm. the real problem with podcasts especially is that they do 10 episodes and then they just quit. 100%. Yeah. And it, it doesn't do anything. The so fact you, that you've done 100 yeah. plus episodes yeah. is fantastic. And in fact, Seth Godin, um, you know, who of course is a well-known marketing author, one of his standard responses is when a new podcaster writes to him and asks, will you be on the show? He will often write back and say, okay, talk to me again when you've done 50 episodes. Write, write me back. And, and then I, I will consider it. Totally. I mean, you know, we've seen this uh, firsthand. You know, we, we just uh, came back from a trip to London. We were on the London Real podcast. If you ever get a chance to get on that one, I definitely suggest it. Brian is an amazing host, and he's, he's kind of like the, uh, the standard that we hold ourselves to in the podcast. The godfather, world. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and when we first – we were – there's a few real podcasts in different cities. There was L.A. Real um, there was Midwest Reel. There was actually, I think, a Winnipeg Reel at one point. Dublin Reel. D- Dublin Reel. And, um, and then we, and then they kind of fizzled off. And there's one or two left. And we came on the scene. And we started back in, what year did we start again? Uh, May of 2014. May 2014. And uh, we did it to a pretty good standard from the get-go. So we had video, high-quality audio. We landed a big guest early on, Dr. Gabor Mate, which really helped. Um, and then... Brian started giving us like lots of like shout outs online. And then when he started doing that, all of a sudden there was like 30 reels and they all popped up all over the world, which is great. Um, but now like a year and a half later, there's only a couple that are still going, right? And it's interesting because people just, um, 
they they want that instant gratification and if they don't get like a thousand listeners a hundred thousand listeners whatever it happens to be they they just they kind of fold in the towel but it's like again that evergreen content like that long game content is so important so what advice would you give to somebody um you know who's maybe just starting off and and they're they're struggling to uh to to keep motivated you know to, to stay on point and, and realize that you know maybe the carrot's going to be coming like two years down the road yeah that's that's exactly right well, one of the strategies, and I, I sort of alluded to this in my previous answer, but this is something that I actually talk about explicitly in my book, Stand Out. I, I profile a guy named John Corcoran who uh, who has a podcast, and one of the ways that he was able to connect with a hero of his, the author Daniel Pink, was recognizing that there is a moment when celebrities of, of whatever stripe, whether that's an author or, you know, whatever, a movie star— uh, they are uniquely vulnerable to your requests. And that is when they are releasing a new product that they want to promote. Mm. And so if you can time it appropriately, when the author has a book, when the movie star has a film, whatever, that's the moment when they're going to say yes, not necessarily to everything, but to almost everything. And so John had this podcast that was that was very new. He'd, he'd had just a handful of episodes, but he reaches out to Dan Pink at exactly the right moment because Dan had just, he followed Dan on Twitter. Dan had just announced that he had a a new book and Sean said oh can you be on my podcast to talk about your book and that those are the magic words <laughs> and so he he said yes and was able to build a relationship with this person that that had been sort of a hero of his so I think that's that's one thing the other thing that I will say and this is something that I, I actually uh, talk about at length in my newest book which is going to be coming out in October it's called entrepreneurial you is the importance of understanding that there are different metrics that you should be looking at at different stages in your business cycle. You know, year one, I mean, yes, that would be amazing if you had 100,000 viewers or whatever. It's probably not going to happen. That is that is almost certainly the wrong metric because you'll look at it and you'll get depressed. What you need to look at is understanding these interim Metrics, And so I profile a, a woman who is a blogger, and I thought she had a, a great way of looking at it, great examples. And for her, the measures of success were things like, okay, uh, one of her articles got retweeted by someone she really admired. Like, oh, her work was getting noticed. Cool. Or for her, the transition between always blogging for free and then in getting invited to, to blog for money. Even if she was getting paid 25 bucks, 50 bucks, someone saying, you know what, your work is worth paying for. And those were the things that she realized were signs of progress along the way. That's a huge point. I yeah. really like that idea of looking for people who are getting ready to launch a product because yeah. you're right. They're looking, you know, again, if you have 300 listeners, that's 300 people that might buy that book potentially, right? So it's like, you know, I, I do like the, the Gary Vee statement that one is greater than zero. So it's like if you have one follower and you compare to none, that's actually not, you know, the step in the right direction, right? Um, I want to switch gears a little bit and just talk a little bit about how does one become a recognized expert in their field? Yeah, so becoming a, a recognized expert is something that is a topic close to my heart. I spent a number of years studying it, uh, and I talk about it quite a, quite a bit in my book, Stand Out. Over time and really do, doing a lot of interviews for Standout, I spoke with about 50 people who were top thought leaders across a spectrum of different fields, everything from business and technology to, to genomics to real estate. And I tried to 
really break down the processes by which, number one, they came up with the ideas that they got known for, and number two, uh, were able to spread them and get known for them. And what I discovered is that fundamentally, there are three key ingredients to becoming a recognized expert. And these, these are things that are really essential for anyone that wants to stand out and make an impression in their field. And they are content creation, which we talked about earlier, social proof, and your network. And very briefly, what I mean by that, um, the content creation is essential because fundamentally, if you... If you do not share your ideas publicly in some fashion, whether it's through a vlog, whether it's through blogging, whatever, uh, giving speeches, if you do not share your ideas somehow, it's pretty self-evident, but people will not know what your ideas are. They will have no idea if you are any good or not, if you make any sense or not, because they have no idea what's in your head. You have to get, get it out on paper or the digital equivalent thereof so that people can evaluate it. Number two is social proof. And this is a term that psychologists use. Essentially, it just means, you know, credibility. What, what, what are the ways that people can look at you and see that you are credible? And the, the truth is, in this world where there is a lot of content, mm-hmm. there's a surfeit of content, people are not going to give you the time of day, unfortunately, unless you have the requisite credibility to show them, oh, this is you know, this is going to be worth my while. Mm-hmm. Now, credibility can mean different things in different fields. But for instance, if you if you have uh, a show like Vancouver Real, you, you have probably, uh, you were mentioning this and you've probably seen it again and again, a form of credibility that you'd have is to be able to tell fu- future potential guests, oh, we've had person A, person B, and person C, all of whom are well-known on the show, therefore you should come on too. That would be a form of, of social proof. It does help. Yeah, there, and there's, you know, lots of other things. There's, you know, if you've won awards, you know, oh, we were an iTunes best of or, you know, things like that. It could be uh, if you're involved in in professional associations. Oh, well, I'm the president of the Vancouver Chamber of Commerce. You know, yes. those, all, all of these marks of credibility basically show other people, oh, OK, you know, this guy seems legit. I'll, I'll at least listen to what he has to say. And then finally, it's your network. And the network matters largely because, they, number one, they are the people who you are associated with. So that becomes a form of social proof. Number two, they are the people who can help amplify your message and spread it. Mm. That's right. So again, um, kind of trying to grow your network and climb that social ladder again. Um, are there any, obviously TED's in Vancouver this year, and I'm sure that's a pretty good networking event. Can you think of any other events similar to TED that, uh, people could go to if they want to meet people and potentially expand their circles? Yeah. Well, if you're talking about idea conferences specifically, you know, there's sort of lots of, lots of genres of things. I mean, there's, there's certainly conferences that, uh, professional associations put on if you really want to dive deep into the world of, uh, podcasting or the world of floating, floating. Exactly. (laughs) I, I was actually, um, at the Vancouver convention center and, uh, there was signs for an adjacent conference that was happening just as Ted was starting. And it was the annual bakery expo. Of course. I thought, Oh, that sounds, that sounds possibly even better than Ted. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
Very delicious anyway. I was tempted, yes. But uh, but so there's those. But in terms of idea conferences, like the kind of cross-disciplinary type things, I mean, the ones that people talk about, there's uh, there's the Aspen Ideas Festival, there's Renaissance Weekend, which is a favorite of mine, there's Summit Series, there's Mastermind Talks. Um, So, you know, any any of of sort of that genre is interesting and worth looking into. Uh, The other thing that I would say for people, though, regardless of where you are, you can essentially create your own, uh, not necessarily a conference, although you could do that. But I'm a big fan. I don't I don't think that people uh, recognize uh, often enough that it is entirely possible for you to become the host and for you to become the convener of things like, you know, dinner gatherings or cocktail parties Mm. or or whatever. Uh, I, I think people somehow think that they have to be invited but the truth is no it will work better if you are the one inviting people because everyone likes to be invited Hmm. and so if you take the initiative to do it people will be grateful you'll get a reputation as being a connector you really make yourself valuable Mm, connectors are very valuable aren't they yeah Yeah. it's definitely the nice thing that we're i think we're starting to enjoy in the city is becoming uh, a hub within vancouver People, when they're coming to Vancouver, see it as, as a way of getting their message out to the audience before they actually come here. Um, and a lot of people now are approaching us, like just like, um, again, who are launching a new book, a new product, whatever it happens to be, um, whatever, whatever they're happy to be promoting, they're coming to us now, which is it's kind of nice because it's like we're getting all this amazing content for our listeners, but, um, you know, they're now coming to us as opposed to always having to hunt for a new guest. Before, it was like we'd be working for forever and we'd be begging people to come on the podcast and now they're actually coming to us which is a definitely a nice flip um that's right that's and yeah. that would be an interim measure of success that, yes that in the past you had to hunt everybody and now they're coming to you absolutely yeah. no yes. we have like like i said we have this back burner of a podcast we're trying to get out but we've also been like accommodating different requests to get them out so it's it's been yeah it's it's, it's completely a different game right now when you look back at it eh? like how oh, where definitely. we're at like even a year from now a year ago from now um, well, and, that, and that's the thing. The, the fun part about this podcast is that we plan on doing it for uh, in, indefinitely. We have yeah. no plans to stop. So it's like we're going to keep doing this and doing this. We could hopefully we'll be doing it in five, ten years. I don't know what it'll look like then. Hopefully, it'll be a lot bigger and and uh, more known. But um, that's what we're working towards, anyways. Yeah. So now you've um, okay, you've reinvented yourself. You have your personal brand, and you are now recognized an expert in your field. Now, what is the last step? That is monetizing your idea. Now, that seems to be one of the hardest parts, or maybe not. I don't know. So let's say someone's done those three, first three steps properly, and now they're ready to monetize. How do they go about doing that? Yeah, this is, uh, this is the critical topic. You're exactly right. This is why I, I really, in terms of, of the, the books that I've written and the topics that I talk about, I very much conceived of them as a kind of trilogy. Because step one is finding your path, finding your passion, reinventing yourself into the place you want to be. Uh, step two, of course, is getting getting known, respected, recognized. But part three, which a, a lot of people never get to, unfortunately, is being able to build a, a self-sustaining, thriving business doing those things. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's why I wrote my newest book for the fall, Entrepreneurial You, to try to really dig down into that because I it, it pains me actually that there are a lot of really talented smart people I mean we probably all know them you know the coach the consultant whatever and they have like no clients and it's because creating a, a sustainable living for yourself as an entrepreneur 
is a very different skill set than having mastery at whatever your field is. And there's not there's not enough people teaching you about about that other part. So I went out and uh, and interviewed a wide variety of people who were very successful, six, seven, even eight figure entrepreneurs with very small businesses. These are not people who are you know starting uh, starting Google and getting venture capital money. This, these are people who are you know largely solo or have a very small team, but are able to have enormous margins. And I think that one of the the biggest things to keep in mind is the importance of creating multiple revenue streams. Mm. Um, we all know, uh, we, you know, we've been told, uh, and I think it's sunk in for most people, that it would be foolish if, with our investments if we just put all our money in one stock. Mm. Like, everybody knows that's not a good idea. Yeah. And yet, so often on the other end, we are getting all of our income from one source, whether that is a day job or even if we're an entrepreneur, just from doing one type of thing. And the the real magic, I think, comes from, I mean, it's it's not spreading yourself so thin that like, oh, well, I, I do, you know, dog walking and hairstyling and, you know, tulip growing. I mean, you know, that's that's too much. But if you're able to have a core idea, a core mission and find ways to slice it so that you're doing something once but you're coming up with multiple ways to make money from that thing, that's where the magic lies. Right. So can you give us some examples uh, of different ways people have monetized their ideas? Yeah, absolutely. So I can tell you a little bit, certainly, about uh, about how I have done it. Um, because for me, one of the, the things that I really wanted to do in the course of writing Entrepreneurial You was uh, kind of make myself a test case. You know, walk, walk the talk, figure out if these things worked. 100%, totally. Yeah, and so when I started my business in 2006, it was purely a consulting business. I did marketing strategy, consulting, you know, pretty traditional. I would work with businesses uh, or nonprofits or what have you, and I'd help them come up with marketing plans. That was basically all I did for about seven years. And then in 2013, my, my first book, Reinventing You, came out, and that opened up some new possibilities. All of a sudden, you know, I had the, the kind of extra credibility, the extra social proof, you know, which we were talking about earlier, with a book. And so people started to ask me to speak for money. And so that became another revenue stream. And then something that I was a little slow on the uptake for um, was because Reinventing You was a book aimed at individuals, it wasn't aimed at, at corporations, I started to get people asking me about coaching, personal, uh, you know, executive coaching. And I, and at first I was just like, oh, no, I, I don't do that. That's not my thing. But then I realized I, I had enough people asking me for it. I'm like, oh, I, maybe I should, in fact, do this. And so I opened up that line of business. So we got three uh, income streams from from all you know very very similar you know the the, the DNA is uh, is the same there but uh, but you have multiple ways of making money and so then in more recent years uh, I started to focus on growing my email list building my following as a result of being able to reach more people now. Last year, I launched a online course that I developed called Recognized Expert about help, how to help people figure out how to, how to become recognized experts. So I have a line of business of selling online courses. Um, I also, with this larger email list, started uh, doing affiliate marketing for other colleagues who had products that I thought were complimentary and that I believed in. So, you know, you've got, uh, you've got that. So, you know, it just, it, it, grows. And so at this point I have seven different unique income streams, but they all fuel each other. You know, if, sure. if you give a speech, 
someone sees you, they say, oh, I want to hire you for coaching. Oh, well, fantastic. Well, they also run a company so they can hire you for a consulting contract. And oh, you know, maybe they refer you to a friend who wants to buy an online course. So it becomes very symbiotic. Cool. Yes. Yeah. That's interesting for sure. I mean, right now we're in the process of like, okay, uh, you know, this podcast is um, partially, anyways, to support our business, right? Yeah. So, I mean, we have people on with relative, uh, you know, relevant topics to people who uh, be, who like to float, who be interested in floating, so they come and listen to the podcast and and we spread our reach that way. And we're actually now branching into the idea of. Um, looking at running some sort of a course through the community that we've built here. So basically we have, uh, again, the monthly meetups and we have our whole online community and eventually we'd like to launch a course through that. Now we're just in the process of like hammering what that's going to be, but it seems like we're, we're doing this at a kind of a slower organic pace because Vancouver Real is a bit of a, it's a side project of a side project actually. So it's like, it's another thing that we're doing, but um, it totally is something that uh, we're interested in doing. So this is uh, really valuable information. I really appreciate this. Yeah. Oh, I'm thanks. so glad you squeaked this in before you had to go. And I'm actually really curious about um, your experience here in Vancouver and at Ted. Have you been to Ted before? This is my second time at Ted. Yes. Okay. I, I came last year as well. Nice. Were you a presenter last year? I no. I have. I've spoken at a couple of TEDx's. Okay. Uh, and those those talks are online, but uh, but I have not actually spoken on the TED main stage. Yet. Okay. And so, why do you bring yourself to come to TED uh, now for two years in a row? What do you What do you do there? And what do you? Yeah. What's that all about? Yeah. One of the. One of the things that I learned early on in my business, I, I became a real believer in that. We were talking earlier about the, the importance of your network. I reached a point maybe two or three years into my business where, you know, in the early days of probably almost any business, you get your clients from your existing network, you know, the people that you know. And it, and it makes sense because um, they're the ones who have enough trust in you that even though you don't have a lot of experience doing whatever you're doing, that, you know, they like you and they're, they're willing to give you a try, right? Mm -hmm. But there, be, there are limits that happen um, once you exhaust your network and your business, you know, it, it can grow incrementally from there because presumably your existing network will refer you to other customers but they're going to refer you to customers that are very much like themselves you know every, everybody has uh kind of similar networks you know if you work in nonprofits, you probably know lots of people in nonprofits. Yeah. or you know if you if, you, if someone's a middle manager they probably know lots of other middle managers Absolutely. but the, the middle manager probably doesn't know the ceo and you realize oh okay well i started my business when i was 27 and I had never worked in a corporation. I had been a journalist. I'd worked in politics. I had run a nonprofit. I, I didn't know a lot of influential people. And so I was able to grow my business to, you know, to a good place. It was a place I was proud of. But I realized it was not really ever going to grow to the kind of thing that I wanted it to grow unless I invested in building a network that was even more uh, ambitious or successful or accomplished. And I thought, okay. This is not going to happen by itself. I'm going to have to take deliberate steps to do that. And so my first choice that I made along those lines was it had been a longstanding ambition of mine to go to Renaissance Weekend ever since I had heard about that. That is, um, for people who are getting visuals in your head, there are no 
armor. There's no knights. This is not a Renaissance fair. <laughs> it is very different. Oh, uh, I got I excited. Go, I wanted to yeah. jousting. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know jousting is always cool, but unfortunately, it is not. It's not what I did. Renaissance weekend is is this ideas conference that became famous in the '90s. That was when I first heard about it because uh, because President Clinton used to go to it, mm. and it just seemed like a very cool thing. And I always thought, oh man, that would be great. And so I managed to finagle an invitation for myself. Um, in 2008 so it was a couple years after i started my business and the first time you know when i got this invitation in the mail they sent it and they announced the next five uh renaissance weekends it was just like hey here's you know here's the next five that we're doing and i was i was so kind of nervous that somehow if i went like they wouldn't let me go back that i i you know i was not making that much money at the time but i immediately registered for four of them and i sent them a check for four because i'm like you know what i'm all in i'm gonna do this this you know this is like you know my chance and so i took that leap of faith and, it, and thank god it turned out i i really liked them um, but it was a very very deliberate choice to do that and now uh many of my very close friends are people that i met from renaissance weekend uh but so similarly you know, Ted is, is kind of of that ilk. And you have to experiment. You have to find the conference that feels most comfortable to you. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I invested for that reason because I thought, you know, I'm going to meet some interesting people. I don't sure. know who they're going to be. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know where it's going to lead. But I know that it, will, it, it pays to be in the right room. Yeah, I think that's a great piece of advice for people who are maybe trying to find their way a little bit right now and rediscover themselves and go and like, poke into different conferences that's a great idea because there's so many different types of conferences out there whether it's like tech or ideology or whatever it is and to invest in that process go check them out and at least like yeah immerse yourself with that energy in those those conversations or those presentations and and see either who you meet or what inspiration you might get or or whatever it is you know what i mean i think that's fantastic were there any speakers that really stood out to you this week ted there were there were definitely some great ones. Um, there, uh, you know, th- thinking through. I mean, it, you're, you're you're exposed to just this this huge uh, panoply of information. But even just thinking about today, the, the last day of the session, there was a, a great talk by uh, Anne Lamott, the writer. I mean, just just witty, funny, self deprecating, uh, but just a, a lovely look at life. Uh, which mm. was very powerful. Um, I'll give a special shout out to, there's a, a woman who was a speaker this year who was actually a college classmate of mine. Oh, wow. And uh, it was really fun to to see her. I mean, I, I knew her years ago from college and uh, her name is Luma Mufle and she has gone on to become a uh, refugee advocate. Uh, she has a nonprofit that she started in Georgia and it's now going to be expanding into Indiana and Ohio uh, where it, they, they do these soccer teams for refugee kids and wow. she did a terrific job. Amazing. Wow. Very cool. So when people are uh, you know, looking to reinvent themselves, they're on the entrepreneur journey, typically they're looking for a lot of resources. So um, you know, where do you get your information from? Is it from podcasts, from books? Like, what's your primary source of, of information these days? Well, last year uh, I actually was beginning to feel like I, I wasn't reading enough books. And so I decided that I, w- I was going to commit to reading a book a week. That was my my goal for 2016. So I didn't quite hit it, but I but I came pretty close. I, I read I think 42 books last year. That's nice. pretty good. Yeah. So that was uh, that was my my big push. Um, and you know that was um, some of them were business books, but the vast majority were not. I wanted to try to just read things that I thought were 
cool and interesting and diverse. Uh, but I, I really had to make it an explicit goal. Uh, this year, of course, I uh, I decided, okay, I'm going to have different goals. And so, you know, now my, my reading of books has plummeted. But I do think that, that information is critical. Um, there, there's sort of a vogue, I think, sometimes in the entrepreneurial community to say, oh, don't read the news. It's just upsetting. Why do people do that? I, I'm going to push back against that because I, as a former journalist, I am a huge believer. This is actually where I spend a lot of my time these days um, is I, I read the New York Times every day. I, I find it extraordinarily valuable. I think it is extremely valuable as a citizen to be aware of what is going on. And I mean, you know, if a particular article is upsetting, I mean, fine, don't read it. But that doesn't mean that you could just plug up your ears and not be aware of, of what's happening in the world. In fact, I actually think that it is a competitive advantage to be well-versed in the news uh, because it gives you an opportunity to talk with, with anybody, to connect with mm-hmm. anybody. I mean, mm-hmm. if, you, if you meet somebody from the Netherlands, you can, you can ask them you know, some question about, oh, well, I heard this just happened in the Netherlands or whatever. Yeah. And you're able to, to really form a bond that is so much more uh, powerful and uh, and connected than if you you know just kind of kept kept your head in the sand. Totally, unless they don't watch the news, then you're hooped. But <laughs> um, yeah, like one thing that um, was worked really well for us in the past is is keeping like our pulse on um, alternative uh, media sources, like podcasts, for example. That's one thing that got us into Float House early on because we heard of it uh, early on on a podcast, and uh, we caught that wave kind of before it became popular and really got uh, into this field, I guess if you want to call it that, um, before it became a trend. Yes. And um, I think that uh, you know, mainstream media is great, especially for current affairs, absolutely. But I feel like you know, you're not going to s- see as many of those like fringe ideas that are just kind of popping up on the radar. Like, one thing I tell people is like, you know, really um, expand your horizons and listen to a wide variety of different subjects in podcasts yeah you know? yeah for sure you know our brains are kind of like dot connecting machines right so you put all these pieces of information and all of a sudden these two dots are going to merge and boom you have an idea right um that's something that's worked really well for us but yeah i'm a big <clears throat> podcast person too as well what do you listen to yeah, so the the ones that I listen to uh, regularly, I love uh, the James Altucher show. He's a, a friend of mine back in New York, so it's always fun to hear what he's up to. Yeah. Uh, that's one I definitely listen to regularly. Um, I uh, we were talking earlier uh, before before the recording started about the Art of Charm. Mm. Um, I have been a guest on there, and also uh, just just really enjoy Jordan's interview style. I think that you know he's we were talking um, you know d- during this interview about the importance of longevity, and you know. He, this is someone who's been doing podcasting for more than a decade yeah. I and mean, just the, the level of persistence and perseverance there. Um, but you can really tell, I mean, he has become just such a, a fluid and fluent interviewer. Uh, it, it leads to a, a great quality outcome. Yeah, I mean, um, that's I was listening to him on the way here, actually. Ah, perfect. Yes. So any, anything else? So- you know, those are probably the uh, the the most common go to ones. Of course, I'm you know I'm a fan of of some of the Gimlet ones. Startup is uh, is great for anyone interested in entrepreneurship. I've listened to every season uh, that they've done. That's been a lot of fun. And uh, when when Malcolm Gladwell had his uh, podcast, I mean, I, I guess there's probably I didn't know he had one. Yeah, there's hopefully going to be other seasons. Uh, one. One season was uh, was released, and I it wasn't that many episodes, maybe eight episodes, but it was so well done. It was called Revisionist History, mm. and was uh, was really terrific to listen to. Okay, awesome. So you um, you live in New York now? I do. Yeah, and how do you like living there? 
I like it a lot. I was yeah. in. Uh, I grew up in North Carolina, and I was in Boston for a long time. Okay. But I moved to New York three years ago, and it's uh, it's been a good fit. Yeah, and uh, what what do you enjoy about living there? How, why do you like New York so much? I will tell you. I grew up in you know in this little tiny town in North Carolina. And there were no sidewalks. There, it was it was literally impossible to do anything without a car. Yeah. And as a kid, I was so extraordinarily resentful of that. I mean, mm. I, I didn't live near any friends. It's not like oh, you could just play so with someone. So driving you everywhere, kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. It's just it's just this this you know when we think about societal anomie and why. Uh, why people are obese, we, if we think about why people are lonely and alienated and isolated. Mm. I mean, I think it's better perhaps now that there's the internet and you can still communicate with people, but 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 there was not that option. And so just having to be passive and just wait for people to bring you to a place even if that place was a half mile away i mean i think it's it's revolting to me that that is what our society has has been built as and devolved to and so what i like about new york is that you can walk forever sure Mm -hmm. yeah that's i'm sure there's so many nooks and crannies to explore in that city um so where do you see yourself in five years from now yeah, such a good good question. Um, I I very much like what I'm doing, and I can imagine myself continuing to do this probably for the next decade or so. I mean, it's it's uh, you know writing writing books, speaking, coaching, consulting. It feels very meaningful to me to be able to to explore this and to help other people because in a lot of ways, really, what I'm trying to do is to help other people find more satisfaction in their professional lives and get their ideas heard. Um, so, so that's very fulfilling beyond that though. I'm, I'm interested lately in trying to cultivate on the side, some creative pursuits. And so last year I started doing stand up comedy. Oh, nice. uh, I nice. took, uh, took a couple of stand up classes. I've done, you know, I mean, it's, this is, these are not huge numbers for like professional comedians, but, but I've, I've done about maybe a dozen stand up performances, which awesome. has been really fun. Way to branch um, out. Thank you. And I've also, I've also gotten a little bit into musical theater and, and trying to write musical theater. So, nice. you know, just flex the muscles. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, if you could give your, um, if you could make a phone call and give your twenty-year-old self one piece of advice, what would that be? So, if I were if I were advising my twenty-year-old self, um, I would say that probably the the thing that I would uh, so you know, there's there's professional, there's personal, um, but I think. Probably the thing that I regret most in my business was being really slow on the draw in building an email list. Mm. I think that it is very seductive for people to assume that building a social media presence is sufficient, but they keep changing the algorithms and (laughs) they keep making it harder for people to get through and there, there just keeps being more noise. And so... If you have the ability to communicate directly with people where they opt in, that is just the most powerful means of communication. And social media is a great supplement, but it should never be your your primary focus. And I I wish that I had clued into that. I really did like zero list building during the launch of my first book, Reinventing You, which I feel like is just a, a wasted opportunity. Sure. And so I, I would go back in time and change that. All right. Awesome. Cool. Anything else you'd like to get out there today? 
Oh, well, this it's wonderful talking with you. I'll, I'll just mention, you know, we're, we spent a lot of time talking about uh, the concept of how to become a recognized expert. And if people are interested on my website, doryclark.com, I have, number one, more than 400 free articles uh, available, things that I've written for Forbes, Harvard Business Review, et cetera. Amazing. But I, I also have a free, uh, a free giveaway if people want it. It's a 42-page uh, standout self-assessment workbook that actually... Um, asks you a series of 139 questions wow. that people can walk through step-by-step step to help develop their own breakthrough idea and spread it. So that's all for free at doryclark.com. Amazing. Well, Dory, thank you very much for taking the time out of your busy week. And Ted, I know we had to just kind of slot in here and you're actually flying out tonight. So thanks for joining us and sharing some of your information and knowledge on Vancouver Real. Gentlemen, thanks. Yes. Anything cool. you'd like to add there, Mike? Nope, that was uh, super fun. Really enjoyed it. Really glad we squeezed it in. And uh, thank you for listening, everyone at home or wherever you may be. Uh, we genuinely appreciate you guys uh, supporting uh, this show and giving it a, a listen. And um, anything you can do online to, to pass along this, uh, this message in any way is uh, genuinely appreciated by all of you. So lots of love to you guys. Yeah, absolutely. So until next time. To whatever is. To whatever is.